the reading today is taken from Philemon. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave so that you no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you would do even more than I say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mandy. Would you please stand for the Gospel reading? Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Luke chapter 14, reading from verse 25. Now large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And may I now speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please be seated? Anyone here ever received a credit card invitation through the email or by post? A tempting invite to spend six months or interest-free or a year of card purchases interest-free or to transfer a balance from a more expensive card? Or even the offer, I think it's Klarna and all these new systems, to pay in several installments spread over a period, all inviting you not to count the cost. Because we live in an age of plastic money where the planning of our finances is pressurized to include and encourage living beyond our means. Many discover too late that they've overreached themselves and are heavily or dangerously in debt. Jesus' words from today's gospel about sitting down and estimating the cost of an undertaking, counting the cost before you do something, hits home to our generation and the millennials very powerfully. It's so easy to start enthusiastically committing yourself financially to an exotic holiday or a new bathroom or a new kitchen or a new car double glazing, whatever it is, and then regret your decision once the pay date has arrived in the present. And no wonder our Lord says count the cost before you embark on something, whether it's building a tower or going to war. Now, though his words sound very demanding, very strict, they really do need to be taken on board. Because it's essential that no one is given the impression that following Jesus Christ is all sweetness and light, easy and happy, with no real cost involved. Part of spreading the good news is ensuring that people are properly informed of the small print. In fact, Jesus wouldn't have it in small print, but large letters. And our gospel reading was him putting it in large letters. There is a cost by way of commitment. And he wants us to make a well-informed, well-considered decision. 
that becoming a Christian, like undertaking marriage, should never be done lightly or carelessly. I'm grateful to Keith last week for emphasizing Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That was in the context of our behavior and exhortation that the way we live should be in line with that of Jesus or our fathers in Christ. And Keith urged us to live out our faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and in the future. Well, surprise, surprise, Jesus himself makes the same point today. Count the cost, he says. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Well, that's tough. Very difficult for us as human beings, as parents, sons and daughters to take on board. But as Mark Sanger explained a couple of weeks back in a very similar passage from Luke chapter 12, when Jesus spoke about coming to bring division, not peace, what Jesus was highlighting to all would-be disciples was that following him means putting him, his will, his priorities above everything else in our life, including the interests of our nearest and dearest, if they clash with his will. None of us find that easy. I've heard people say to me in the past, I can't put God, I could never put God before my children. But when it comes to the crunch, you may have to. I could never put God before my wife, before my father, before my... But God is saying, you may have to. Maybe your family are going down a road which is diametrically opposed to what you know God is calling you to do or what God is calling you to be. What do you do in those circumstances? That's where your trust and faith in Jesus will be sorely tested. Do you really believe that if you follow his will, he will sort out the issues with your family that may arise from you following the course of Christ? Do you, in the end, love and trust him more than your parent, your spouse, your sibling, your child, even if they threaten to cut off links with you? Some of us have the misfortune maybe not to be married to believers. And it can be very difficult if you're pulling in different directions. You want to worship God, you want to get to church, but they don't want to. And they don't want you, your attention being upon God and things spiritual. Is it any surprise then that Jesus says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, whoever does not hate father and mother, wife and children, cannot be my disciple. Anthea had calls on Friday to remind somebody the other day that when she married me, she wanted me to change the plans I already had when we met to leave 
the corporate world, I worked for Shell, and to go into full-time Christian ministry. As she put it, she couldn't see why I wasn't able to serve as a Christian in business. Some of you will have heard of Full Gospel Business Fellowship and, and similar organizations which work to encourage those who work in secular industry or businesses to live out their Christian witness. And of course, I think it's even more difficult to be a Christian full-time, living out your faith as a lawyer in the bank or wherever you find yourself working in, in our world today. But Anthea, at that time, couldn't see why I couldn't stay on as a person in industry and business and serve as a Christian then. And that could have led to division between us. But fortunately, God, in his grace, spoke to her directly and effectively told her not to hinder me from proceeding. Now, I say fortunately because she was a believer too, a Christian, open to God's voice and willing to obey so that the potential for schism and division was averted. And I can assure you, Mark had to get Georgina's agreement to go and follow the path he's going to take now. Because not everybody signs up to be a vicar's wife. But what happened with Anthea and myself was a tangible example of how division can arise when one person is trying to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and those around you are not in the same place of discipleship or understanding. You see, placing God at the very center of our lives means deliberately placing him at the center of our thinking and working, our emotions and feelings, our energy and ambitions, and in the center of every relationship and every decision. Just as when you look at the world through sunglasses or through a colored filter, everything is colored. So when we take the decision to follow Jesus, everything should be colored and is colored by that commitment. And this was the situation that Paul confronted. uh, Mandy's now changed my pronunciation of this. Philemon, I call him Philemon with, in our epistle. Philemon was a Christian. Indeed, Paul hails him as a fellow worker, so maybe he was a bit of an evangelist too, engaged in spreading the good news of Jesus. But Philemon was also a slave owner, so a person of means in that ancient society. What was a slave worth in Roman times? Well, difficult to tell accurately today, but if Roman slaves would have done all the chores for their masters, cooking, cleaning, fetching, carrying, helping with dressing, looking after children, mending, repairing, planting crops, harvesting, we can get some idea. To employ someone full-time today, say for 40 hours a week on minimum wage, is around roughly the early 20,000s a year. And that's leaving aside national insurance. So employing somebody full-time now is probably worth, I don't know, 24, 25,000 a year. But actually then you had a slave full-time, not just for 36 hours or 40 hours, full-time. There were, in theory, no limits to the hours they worked. And so a skilled slave 
was probably worth in excess of 100,000 in today's money. In 1850, when a slave called Peter Friedman left Alabama, he had left behind a wife and children whom he was determined to free. Members of the Underground Railroad secured their escape to Indiana, but they were recaptured and returned to slavery. And when Peter Friedman attempted to purchase their freedom, their master demanded the seemingly impossible sum of $5,000. With the help of abolitionist friends, he began a lecture tour telling the story of his enslaved family to raise money for their freedom. It took four years of fundraising. But in October 1854, he accomplished his goal. And according to the inflation indices, 5,000 back in 1854 is the equivalent in 2022 of $176,000. So a huge sum of money. I digress somewhat, but, but you get the point. Slaves were incredible. Onesimus, the runaway slave, was very, very valuable to his master. Yet Paul asks Philemon to look at Onesimus, the slave, not with the eyes of an aggrieved slave owner seeking to get his property back, but looking with the eyes of someone who'd made the commitment to follow Jesus. Onesimus had become a Christian too in the meantime. But Paul wasn't only sending him back to his master Philemon. He was also asking Philemon not to punish Onesimus. Perhaps he was even implying Philemon should set him free as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ. Now it's a tough call for Philemon as he faced the loss of a valuable slave. It was, for him, truly about counting the cost. If God was really at the center of Philemon's life, what did Christian brotherhood mean to him? What would Jesus do? Now, I would guess at this time Philemon knew the Gospel of Luke. It had been recounted to him. So he probably knew the last verse of our gospel reading today. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Now, does he say some? All your possessions. Philemon was being boxed into a corner by St. Paul's, forced to give the equivalent of 150,000 150, away. Philemon's faith was going to cost him dear. And if our faith is not costing us, perhaps we ought to examine ourselves. Some bridle, even at the idea of being asked to tithe, to give a tenth of our income to the service of the Lord, to their spiritual house of worship, But Jesus doesn't say, give a tithe. He says, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Some of you will know the story of the rich young ruler. He came up to Jesus and said, I've kept, what what must I do to gain eternal life, to be saved? 
He kept the commandments, or so he thought. But Jesus wanted him to see that though that was true in a legal sense, nevertheless, in a spiritual sense, he had not been keeping them at all. Jesus lists several of the Ten Commandments, and then he adds this, finally, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that was what the rich young ruler lacked, love for his neighbor. Because he was attached to his riches, and if he had really loved his labor, his neighbors, he would have given all his possessions away to help many, many in poverty around him. Not only that, he was contravening the first commandment to love God above all else because he was attached to his riches. And Jesus continued in that little story, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Keeping the commandments isn't a problem when it doesn't cost us anything to do so. Sometimes people say to me, oh, I'll tithe when I have lots of money. No, you start when you have nothing and you give of the nothing. Because otherwise, when you get to that other point, you will not have the gumption or the courage or even be able to do it financially. Is your faith costing you? That's the question that should always be in our minds if if we say we are truly followers of Jesus. Is it costing us in the use of our time? How are we serving the churches in which we worship? Is it costing you in the use of your talents? Is it costing you in the use of your money as it was to cost Philemon? Now, don't get me wrong. It's great following Jesus. He brings a joy which nothing else can. Sometimes when I raise my hands in worship, I just feel the presence of God. It's like putting my hand into a thick cloud. And that's why I keep my hands up. Because I can feel the presence of God. And one moment in his presence is worth millions elsewhere. Because there's nothing like his beauty. Nothing like his character and the love and reassurance he brings to us. And if we trust Jesus, we, we can trust God to lead us into the very best, most fulfilling life possible. Philemon may have lost Onesimus as a slave, but he gained a brother in Christ who I'm sure was the most loyal, most helpful and faithful brother in Christ to him. Giving all to Jesus does not mean losing everything we have. Psalm 139 puts it this way, God has intimate knowledge of us and every stage of our growing Never will he demand of us more than we can in his strength give. Never will he push us too fast. Never will he overload us too quickly. When we give up all our rights to our possessions, when we say, Lord, all we have is at your disposal, 
we gain Jesus more fully than we ever thought possible as we rely on our faith in him. We had a song earlier in our time of pre-worship in the chapel. If you've never been, come early. Go 9.30 to the chapel and start worshipping God in song. And the last song I think Victor was playing was, I just want you, I just want the Lord, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else will do. Maybe we need to learn the other way around. He just wants all of us. He wants all of us. Nothing else will do. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, it's very difficult, we find, to give you everything, to surrender every area of our life to you. And some areas become snares, some areas prevent you having your way fully in us. And therefore prevent us from fulfilling all that you have for us. Change us through your grace. Change us through your Holy Spirit. That we might become willing to surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to worship him.